Father, this morning we just come to you. We just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for one more day in the land of the living. Thank you, Father, that you chose us. That you touched us. You redeemed us. If it were not for you, Lord, we would be lost. Lost. But it was because of you, Lord, that we are here. We are safe in you. And no one can pluck us from the Father's hands, Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Now we magnify your word about everything else, about all your name. As we look into your word, keep teaching us that we may know your ways and we may walk with you, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Tuesday we looked at, uh, it started from the book of Judges, chapter 1. And we looked at the first four verses. And yesterday, it's up on YouTube for the others who did not have access to it, but it is there now. Uh, we looked at Judges 5 to 7, three verses. And uh, it's not long, it's just 50 minutes. So it's a typical mainline sermon, 50 minutes. So all those who are offline, mainline, cordline, okay, you should be, yeah, streamline, okay, you can be comfortable, it is 50 minutes. But if we were looking at it, Book of Judges is a picture of so many ways, in so many ways, a picture of our times. If you look at the book of Judges, it begins with the death of Joshua. That's I mean, He's there in the book of Judges for a few verses, but the narrative begins. We do not know who wrote it. Presumption is the prophet Samuel wrote it, but we are not sure. Okay, that it was written by, again, by revelation. Like if the first five books were by Moses and the next book is by Joshua or a scribe and the uh, Book of Judges, many theologians presume was written by Samuel. But it begins, if you look at the, the narrative, it begins with death after the death of Joshua. That's how it begins. And if you look at the book of uh, Joshua, it begins after, you don't have to go there, after the death of Moses. If you look at the book of Exodus, the first five verses will list the sons of Jacob and the sixth verse will talk about the death of Joseph. Okay, so each of these books, if you look at it in historical terms, each of these books begins with the death of a very important personality. Joseph is dead and a pharaoh will rise who did not know Joseph. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now Joshua, the next servant, is dead. Okay. And we look at any of these books, you will see the difference the death of someone special makes. That in some ways, you can never replace him. He may have a successor. Joseph dies, there is no successor to replace him. 
and Israel goes into a period of darkness for 400 years. Moses dies, but there is a successor, and Joshua will take them into the promised land. Joshua dies, there is no successor. So the point here is, succession is important. Groom the next generation. Because every nation, Christian nation, is just one generation away from total destruction. And in so many ways, America has. That's why we pray for God's move to sweep over the new young generation. They're so far away. I mean, they, they have no idea who Jesus is. No idea who Jesus is. They have no clue who Jesus is. They have no idea of the Bible. They have no idea of their history. So that's what happens. You have to. Joshua was good in so many ways. What he said, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. But that is okay. But that is not. You are a leader. You are a leader. He should have challenged them as the leader of Israel by saying, as for us, we, the nation of God, shall serve. And we shall. He knew the entire law that Moses had been given through Moses that we need to get the next generation ready. That they should be immersed in the knowledge of God. But that's where he kind of failed. Okay. Sometimes that is what happens that we get so engrossed in battles. Engrossed in battles. We forget the other side. We also need to mentor the next generation. We get so caught up with the issues of our life, our problems and problems and problems and problems, especially families. We are so caught up with our problems, we forget the children are growing. The children are growing. And we get only a season with them. Though they may be there for years and years in our life, the season we can impress God into their lives, it's a very short season. Very, very short season. By the time they come to their teens, these years, these days, even earlier, by the time they come to their teens, they are gone. And if we haven't succeeded in passing the baton onto them, passing the knowledge of God into their lives, into their hearts, then we will have the book of Judges. Okay, so succession is important. We mentor the next generation. And Moses was good that way. The entire generation, the young generation, stood like one behind Moses. Though their fathers rebelled against Moses, the children followed Moses to the last one. And the only thing they asked Joshua was that, we will follow you wherever you go. We will do whatever you do. But only one thing, that you follow God as Moses followed God. And that is mentoring. I mean, Moses, we look at Moses we will look, and so many people look at Moses and say, oh, what a failure. He brought all these people. He couldn't get anybody in. He himself could not get in. But that's not what you look at Moses. Moses was an incredible leader because you look at what he did with the next generation. Not a single one was lost in the next generation. Next generation. Not a single one was lost. He lost almost all of the his generation, but he did not lose anybody because sometimes it is very difficult to mentor older people, especially when they come to the Lord when they are old. It's very difficult to change a mindset. Remember, the older generation came out of Egypt. The mindset set. It's very difficult. But it's not difficult to mentor a young generation. Okay, young generation. It's not very difficult. Only thing you have to get them early. 
You have to get them early. And that's what the Bible is talking about. And Joshua, before dying, had made all the allocations for each of the tribes. And uh, now, there were a lot of portions that were still not conquered. So each of the tribes had to conquer the portion that was allotted to them. Remember, God has all allotted all of us a portion. Our lives are not similar. There are similar areas in our lives, but there are so many areas which are dissimilar. We all have a plan and a purpose in Christ that is specific to us. It has been allotted to us by our heavenly Joshua. Our heavenly Joshua has allotted this to us. Now God says, go and ahead and possess it. Remember two days on Tuesday we had said, Joshua said, how long will you wait to possess your promises? And that's a question God asks, how long? How long will you wait to possess the life of Jesus Christ? How long? You have to fight for it. It's not, it doesn't come easy, but it is guaranteed. You can have the life of Christ Jesus, the life that he came, the life of abundance, the life of spiritual victory, and God's promises are all towards that. And we see that in Second Peter. We have, don't have to go there. All these promises are there, that through them we partake of the divine nature of Christ Jesus and escape the corruption that is in the world that comes through lust. So we have to fight we have to possess through our promises and we have to fulfill our specific purpose. So in chapter, we saw that in chapter one, we saw on Tuesday in the first four verses, they ask God. Actually, that's the only time they ask God. This is a problem. You know? you, we have to keep on asking God. They ask God, who shall go first? So they're ready. Who shall go first? And the Lord said, Judah shall go. And we understood the spiritual significance of us because for us, like the victory is already guaranteed in Christ Jesus. Every place the sole of your foot will tread, I will give it to you. No man will be able to withstand you all the days of your life. As I was Moses, so will be. So the promise given to Joshua is the promise given to Israel. It will, it will apply to every person in Israel because Joshua represents Israel over there. It's the body. So when a promise is given to the body, it applies to every digit, every instrument in that body. So they could all take it. And so therefore, how who goes first? Judah goes first, meaning because we know victory is guaranteed, we don't fight and celebrate, we celebrate and fight. That's why we begin with praise. Judah means praise. But Judah does not go alone. He calls whom? He calls Simeon because we need hearing. Simeon means hearing. So it's not the order of 1 to 12 in the tribes of Israel or the sons of Jacob. It is according to spiritual order. I go with praise and I need to keep on hearing. It is not that I hear once and then realize, okay, this is, God has given me his whole plan. No, he has not. God never gives a map to his children. He gives a person. Okay, he gives a person. The Bible says, you know, uh, if you look at uh, Exodus, okay, chapter 13 or 14. Just give me a second. Exodus. Yeah, 13, 17. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. That one sentence. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go 
that the Lord God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, meaning, when the Pharaoh let them go, the Lord led them. So there will be ways in which he will not lead us. And there will be ways in which he will lead us. And therefore we have to be when We have come out of the power of the devil. We have come out of the bondage of slavery of sin. God starts leading us. And he may take detours. And we may say, why so much delay? Why is it so long about? But he knows. We are not ready to fight the Philistines who are on the way. He knows we have to fight, but he will not take us that way straight away because he is leading us. So that's where we see in Judge that they ask, God said, Judah first. Judah asked for Simeon. The historical reason is Judah and Simeon are kind of uh, uh, inheriting almost the same area. So they are fighting for each other. And then we saw, if you listen to yesterday's um, we saw that uh, they fought and God delivered. And after that, we will see there's a king called Adonibesek, okay, the god of lightning. They catch him and they cut his thumbs and his toes off. Okay. Thumbs and if you go into Jude, okay. Thumbs and his toes off. What is the lesson we learn from that? Is that, you know what? They begin with partial obedience because they brought him Back to Jerusalem. God did not say do all these things with sin. Just trim your sin. Trim your flesh. He didn't say that. Just take off the thumbs and the toes of your flesh. He didn't say that. He said destroy it. Put to death every day. Don't trim it. Okay, don't trim it. Because sin, even with four digits, can do much harm. Okay, sin can still stand on eight toes. Even if you take two out. God didn't say that, do your own way. So partial obedience, so, so they're already moving into partial obedience in the sight of God is disobedience. Okay, and um, God says deal with it. So listen to that, it's already up on YouTube. Now we will go to the rest of it. In chapter 1 of Judges, seven tribes are mentioned. But if you look at verse 19, Seven tribes. In between, there's an incident of Caleb and his daughter. We will leave it for another day. For the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. See, this is what compromise does. From there, the narrative is, they did, but they did not. He overcame this sin, but he could not overcome this sin. He could overcome these sins, but he could not overcome these sins. That's how it begins. Okay. Verse 20 is an introduction of Caleb's battle. Okay. And they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he expelled from there three sons of Anak the giant. So in between is mentioned, suddenly in between while they are fighting, something is mentioned over there. There's an old man who's still fighting. And he's fighting his giants. He's the oldest guy among them. Okay, and verse 10 will give you the names of those three guys too. The three giants he killed are there. Judah went against the Canaanites who lived, dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kirjat Arba, and they killed Seshai, Ahiman, and Talmai. But who killed them? Caleb did it. Okay. So come back to verse 21. We'll have the next tribe, Benjamin. 
Now the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. See, see the way we look at our life and how God looks at our life is different. Okay, we say, we drove these sins out. God says, you did not drive these sins out. Why? Why does he say it like that? Because he says, I have given you complete power and authority to destroy everything. So when he gives you that kind of, see, we, we will make excuses. Let us say a kid comes to a school, he's from the slums. And a kid comes from the school from a rich home. In the rich home, he's got all facilities. He doesn't have to do anything on his own. He's got all the time. He's got tuitions, everything. And then when he goofs up, the teacher says, what's wrong with you? This kid, we will make excuses. Poor fellow, he has no electricity in his house. There is nobody to teach him. His parents are illiterate. So even if he loses some marks, we'll be kind and compassionate. But look at how God looks. God says, you are rich guys. I will give on you grace without measure. Okay. I've given you grace without measure. You are my children. I've given you power and authority. I've given you my word. I've spoken over you that you are more than conquerors. Therefore, when he looks at us, he does not say, Oh, the children of Benjamin drove these people out. He says the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites. Now, he's not disqualifying us, but he's warning us. He's warning us. Come down to verse 27. However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshan and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblim and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages, for the Canaanites were Determined to dwell in that land. You need to realize the Canaanites are determined. Your sin is not going to get away and go. Your flesh is not. The flesh is determined. So by the time you come to Manasseh, the list of people they could not drive out the cities. Okay. When it came to Benjamin, it was only Jebusite. It was one sin. But it's the center. It is Jerusalem. It's a big fellow. It's a stronghold. Welcome to Manasseh. This whole list of sins are coming now. You are not able to overcome. You see, it deteriorates. It deteriorates. Verse 29. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezar. So the Canaanites dwelt in Gezar among them. Verse 30. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants. It's sad if you look at it, how God's record is. They did not, not that they did. Verse 31. Nor did Asher drive out. In verse 33. Nor did Naphtali drive out. And they dwelt among the Canaanites. Okay. If we come to verse 34. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain. Now it, now it is reversing. Okay, reversing. Now they have force. This is what happens. Okay, the Amorites forced. See, the sin of the Amorites, the iniquity of the Amorites is full. But still you are not able to overcome them. Their time is up. God has already passed the verdict. Their time is up. That sin in your life, the time is up. Its expiry period is over. Okay, meaning they have nothing going for them, the Amorites. They cannot even say our cup is not full. The cup is full and overflowing now. 
but still they are not. Now what has happened, Amorites have driven Dan into the mountains and they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And verse 35, and the Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Heres, in Ajalon, and in Shablim. Yet when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, they were put under tribute. So there are a few things you need to look at there. One, the enemies that we fight, whether it is the devil, our own flesh, or the world, they are very determined to fight and stay. Their determination to stay is more than Israel's determination to get rid of them. Okay? Note this. Ultimately, if your determination is weaker than the enemy's, the enemy will always win. How determined are you? See, and they had one man. That's why Caleb's story suddenly comes twice in that first chapter. Why? Because in the middle of it, you have Caleb. And Caleb will also give a challenge that whoever overcomes this, I will give my daughter. And the daughter also will come and says, I want the springs. Okay? So you have three people there with determination. The rest of the nation is not determined to overcome, though they have their promises going for us. And it's just a picture of the church, picture of us. We have all, everything going for us. When it comes to battling sin, I'm not talking about people. When it comes to battling sin, our flesh, our world, or the powers of darkness. We got God with us. And God is guaranteed you will not lose. But the problem is they are determined. And we have excuses. If you look at verse 19, our excuses is what? Our excuses is because they had chariots of iron. But they forgot their history. So had, so had Pharaoh. Chariots of iron. So had Og of Bashan. They all had chariots of iron. Chariots of iron are not a problem for God. We make it big because we make it as an excuse. It's too difficult for me to overcome. The chariots of iron. Okay. And verse 21 says, you know what? We make a compromise. What is that? The children of Diddam, what did they? So the Jebusites dwell with. They dwell with. Now they're dwelling with them. We made a compromise. We made a compromise with flesh. You leave me alone, I will leave you alone. You don't trouble me too much. Let us have a pact. See, politics is the art of compromise, but not kingdom. Kingdom does not have politics. In politics, you will say always go across the aisle and try to come middle ground. Okay, so politics, in the kingdom of God, there's no politics. The kingdom of God, this only understands one theme, the complete lordship of Jesus Christ. And verse 28, what is the next thing that we do? We still do not believe. No? It came to pass when Israel was strong. What did they do? They made the Canaanite to work for them. They did not destroy them. When we are strong, and our prayer life is very strong. And our word life is very strong. We still will not destroy our flesh. You know what? We'll think we'll put our flesh to work for us. I'm in control. 
God says, you're never in control until that fellow is put to death. You're never in control. The enemy knows only one thing. The enemy takes no prisoners. And you are not supposed to take any prisoners. You have to put to death, the work says. So what do we do? This is the tragedy of Israel, the church, nations. Instead of obeying God, we go the route of compromise. In our fight against sin, flesh, devil, world, we compromise. We tire. We get tired. Because the enemy is spiritual. He doesn't get tired. And he will fight tooth and nail. Remember they call our our body their house. They call our body their house. And where does the flesh live? In our body. The flesh says, that's my house. And we accept our sinful nature as our second nature. We are only supposed to have one nature. But we use terms like that's the second nature. You know? We see verses like Hebrews 12.4 as too radical. It's wishful thinking. Too radical. Don't be a radical. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. You know, what is sin for a believer? Not to do the complete will of God with all your heart is sin. That's why Jesus is shedding blood in uh, Gethsemane. Why? He's just asking only one thing. Can this cup pass away? The father said, no. He's fighting. His flesh is fighting. He's fighting his flesh to obey the will of God. And he Pop, 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 his blood vessels are popping. That's a struggle he's going through. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. In your fight against the devil, the Bible says, they did not love their lives even unto death. Even unto death. No. When it comes to the world and the oppression of the world, the Bible says to the church in Smyrna, be faithful even unto death. But we we say this, the world will say, or the world in the church will say, this is too radical. You need to understand, compromise makes sense only to us. It does not make sense to God. Compromise makes a lot of sense to us. It does not make any sense to God. Why? Because God knows the consequences down the line. You see, as parents, when you tell your children, don't go this route. We know what it is. They will say, well, your life is not my life. I can handle it. Anyway, you went that way. Let me also go that way. Okay, they don't listen. And God has seen the end. He knows it. He took it all on the cross. He was tempted at all points and did not sin. So he knows it all. And he knows the terrible consequence. He has seen it all. So it makes, compromise makes, makes sense to us. It does not make sense to God at all. And the problem is when you make compromise, you and I make compromises with what God says a lie. We make compromises with what God says darkness. The problem is light does not make any compromise with lie, with uh, darkness. Truth makes no compromise with lies. It stands on its own. 
I can compromise, but God does not compromise. But God does not force us. And the thing is that even if we manage to come through it, our children will pay dearly. And that's what's happening around the world in Christian nations. The children are paying dearly, paying dearly for the compromises the parents made. Listen to God's opinion of the state of affairs. Absolutely true for today's day. Judges chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. Judges chapter 2. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, that is Jesus, and said, I led you up from Egypt, brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, listen to that, I said, I will never break my covenant with you. I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, if you don't keep what I say, I also tell you this. I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. You see, if God does not drive sin out of my life, I will never be able to drive sin over my I will say, I will put to my, I can't. It is through grace, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can overcome sin. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that I can overcome the world. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit I can overcome Satan. But if I don't do what God said to do, God says, I will also not do what I told I will do. You know what happened? I will not give you victory over sin. You know what will happen? They shall be thorns in your side. Their God shall be a snare to you. You're going to go through trouble all your life. You know, living among thorns. You know, I lived three years in a town in that mountain country where the entire mountainside was full of cactus. The whole thing. Cactus. And the football ground was just adjacent to it. So we were so careful to play onto one side because if the ball goes, that's it. It's gone, gone. And you know, the those days you had a different kind of a bladder. You had to tie it, push it, lace it and all. And this football, and you get only six or seven bladders for a whole year. You can't buy you or anything. It comes from the government, main depot. So how carefully we played football. Because you knew what would happen, living among thorns. And there were these narrow paths down that mountain where, from where home I go to the market to get something for my dad or mom. You walked very carefully. Because you should not fall to your left or your right. <laughs> you would receive a thorny welcome. You know what the Bible says? They shall be thorns in your side. And their gods, the demons, their gods, the demons, shall be a snare to you. Their demons, instead of you overcoming them, they will torment you. They will tempt you. They will rule over you. He says, that's not what I told you. I said, I will. That was not supposed to be your history. And he asked this question, why have you done this? He 
these events must have taken place like we, we are just reading the narrative but this many years could have happened while this is happening no but what you see is that you don't see them seeking god anymore during this period of conquest you don't see see them and yet god is true he's faithful he says i will never break my covenant with you that words one what he says you should mark it because what god says is true forever god will never break his covenant with us so the issue was not the terrain mountain or lowland the issue was not their numbers the issue was not that they had iron chariots it was not even the determination of the enemy the issue always is disobedience will we believe will we obey the bible says paul was given apostleship to bring us to the obedience of faith obedience of faith as its obedience faith without obedience is dead in romans 6 and verse 14 for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law but under grace what as it says grace gives you dominion complete authority over sin and you have to believe and how does it happen when we obey it may cost us to the shedding of blood it may cost us but we are looking at what we are not looking at temporary we are looking at eternity and we you know what we are willing to pay the price in luke 10:19 you know i have given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the so we don't have excuses oh it's not the enemy is so powerful god says no i'm not denying his power not denying his power but i have given you power over all the power of the enemy and that nothing shall by any means hurt you 1 john 5:4 for whatever is born of god overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith so god says you know what you don't have excuses you are looking at old testament history applying the spiritual truth right so what did they do what we do they chose compromise to fighting for complete victory you look you look at american politics it's interesting if you look at american politics you have left wing politics and right wing and right wing is you always connect them with conservatives with christianity with values and all but if you look at left wing politics they take no prisoners when they are in power they will take no prisoners they want absolute and total control that's the nature of the enemy he's determined determined like yesterday that um, congress lady majority was stripped of committee this thing because of her pose from 2018 and all stuff and all but if you look at the left the people sitting over there you have to look at their pose the kind of stuff they have said but you can't do anything to them no president trump left office and the president is done. it's in he's no longer president they're still going to impeach him if you look at it most scholars say it's unconstitutional because you cannot impeach 
a president who has left his office. You impeach a president when he's in office. Okay. But they want to impeach him. Why? First, to create this aura that he doesn't come back. Second, if they can, they want to, they don't have the words, they may not get the words, but if they can see that he is never is allowed to uh, run for any federal office in the country. Did you see how the enemy comes? Do you see the right wing ever doing that to the left? No, you never do. Okay. But now going back to the spiritual war, we need to realize that, no, you don't make deals with the devil. He comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. You don't make deals with him. He may come as an angel of light. He may look so good and nice. In his Twitter account, he may have 50 million followers. He may be a celebrity, but remember the devil. He has only one agenda. He comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. You compromise with him. It's like the old story of the Arab and the camel. You know? The Arab was in the tent, the camel was outside. It was raining or hot or whatever, so the the camel put his head in. So the Arab thought, okay, poor fellow, let his head be in. A little later, the camel put his right foot in. Little fellow, he must be feeling. A little later, he put his left foot in. Little later, half. Finally, at the end of the day, the camel got in and kicked the Arab out. Okay, that is the whole idea. The devil comes to dominate he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. He's also a long-term planner. He may give you success in one generation through compromise to destroy your next generation. Be very wary how you get your success in your generation. Because he's long-term. He's not a short-term fellow. He's also eternal. Not like God, but he's also eternal. He also understands time. So he's willing to give you victory at the cost of compromise, so that he can get the next generation and finish you completely. Be very, very careful how the enemy operates. And sometimes that's why God said, be wise as a serpent, but gentle as dove. He says the children of this world are very shrewd. Mm-hmm. Very, very shrewd. But the children of God are foolish. They have the wisdom of God, the discernment of God. They don't use it. And they easily make compromises and make peace treaties with the devil. And that's what God is talking about. If you look at over here, you know, we do not believe (laughs) in the consequences of not dealing with sin because its consequences are not immediately visible. We fool ourselves that we are in control. If I cannot drive it out, I will use it to serve. That's what happens to all these people in the lodges. Honestly, you know, Freemasonry, you know what? They're completely fooled. They use demons. They think they control, the masters control demons. And they think we are masters because we control demons without realizing. The devil is smart. He allows them to control demons because he knows the demons control them. And they call, they give them big names. Grand dame, grand wizard, master, grandmaster. But they don't realize, they're just toys in the enemy's hands. 
That's how the devil deceives you. You think you have control. The devil says, you don't have to control. I have. Okay. And you know in the world, how people quick, and, and, and we have given nice uh, psychology terms. Oh, it's a functional alcoholic. Alcoholic and functional. And now don't blame them. Let's look at ourselves. You know what we are? We are functional addicts. Only thing we, we, the things we are addicted to, we have given it nice names. So we say we are, we are good because you know, addiction is addiction. If it takes you away from God and your home and your church, it is an addiction. You may be a functional addict, but you're an addict. You're an addict. God has given us three primary, four primary things. God, our home, our work, and our church. Four things are there. No, we have to work because God is a worker. But this work will go into all these three realms. We have work with God because we have to labor to enter into his rest and the work of God. We have to work in our home and we have to work in the church, in our workplace. So work is common. But you know what the devil will do? He makes us functional addicts. Nice label. I'm functional, but you're an addict. You're an addict. We look at the alcoholics. We look at the drug addicts. And God says, yeah, that's very visible. Very visible. Of course, you have to fight it. But he says, what about you? Is it true? What about shopaholics? Functional addicts they are. Why do you buy so much? Just to give it away. Oh, really? Ultimately, you know what? We become a slave of sin. Sin. This olics, no? We have not horlicks, olics. We have to add, okay? There are workaholics, shopaholics, alcoholics. We only are worried about alcoholics. <laughs> but workaholics also have destroyed their homes like alcoholics. Shopaholics also have destroyed their own homes without drinking a drop of alcohol. Ultimately, the basic unit is what is being destroyed. The home. The home is gone. The church is gone. The church is gone. The nation is gone. God had warned them. Look at it through Joshua. Before Joshua's time is over. 23 verses 5 onwards. 5 to 13. Joshua had, God had warned them. And the Lord your God will expel them before you. And drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. To keep and to do. Lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left hand. Lest you go among these nations. These who remain among you. You shall not make mention of the name of their gods nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. 
For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he has promised you. Therefore take careful heed to yourself that you love the Lord your God. Or else, if indeed you go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you and make marriages with them and go into them and they to you, know for certain, the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. He had warned them very, very clearly. They cannot say we were not want. This is the price of compromise. It's the price of personal lives, our own lives, homes, churches, nations. The price of compromise. And you know what happens? We hate the message of separation and destroying the things in our life which displeases God. Completely destroying it. We hate that message of separation. We prefer the message of accommodation. And then it becomes the message of assimilation. First it is accommodation. Then we assimilate with that culture. After some time, you don't know what is the world and what is the church. They look the same. They look the same. They look the same. And the problem is we do not see the consequences because we see only the initial convenience and not the future pain. When it comes to God, God always has our ultimate good in his mind for us. His do's and don'ts are rooted in his righteousness and his goodness. That is why to overcome we have to see. See it, that the fight itself is good. The fight is, that's what Paul says, I have fought the good fight. You have to see the battle itself. is. You're not battling for good. The battle itself is good. Okay, You're not studying to pass an exam to get good marks. The studying part itself is good. The fighting itself is good because it's a good fight. Pick up good fights. Don't pick bad fights. The battle itself is good. Not just the result. And God says, I will never break my covenant with you. And the thing is that when God says, tells us something, when God, usually when God, like parents tell children, or God tells his children, the children only see the sacrifice. Oh, why should I do it? They don't see the satisfaction. They don't see what God has kept for us. We only see the sacrifice. Listen to Jesus' testimony. Jesus' testimony in Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of faith, who... For the joy that was set before him. That is in the future. What is the present? Endure the cross. Endure the cross. Despising the shame. 
and the future becomes now present. What has he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God? Now that is eternal. That is not temporary. What is temporary? Enduring the cross. Enduring the cross and despising its shame is temporary. But we make compromise with the temporary. And you know what happened? We miss out on the eternal. We miss out on the eternal. The temporary, God does not mince word. It is a cross. <laughs> he said, pick up your cross. He didn't say, pick up your couch and follow me. He said, pick up your cross. You would prefer he had said it was a couch. But he said, pick up, <laughs> pick up my cross. Pick up your cross and follow me. It is a cross because he also endured the cross. He also endured the cross. And he despised its shame. It's not that he tolerated the shame. He despised its shame. And sat down at the right hand of God. We'll just look at one instance before we go to prayer. Or maybe five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes. <laughs> Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. And he was going out on the road. One came running. It's a young man, rich young man. Running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Listen to the question. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? What is at stake? Eternal life. What is the question about? It's not anything temporary. The question is about something that is eternal. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? We know Jesus' answer. He says, do this. He said, I have kept all this from my childhood. Jesus was pleased. And then in verse 21 and 22, look at Jesus' response. Jesus looking at him, loved him. Please remember that whenever Jesus looks at his children, he loves them. He looks at us and he loves us. And what does he say? He said to him, one thing you lack, one thing. Go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word. And went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Possessions. For us, maybe it be possessions. Okay. And what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gave him a very tough choice. A tough command. It's not making it easy. Sell all you have. And his countenance fell. He was not angry, but his countenance fell. He was sorrowful. Why? Because he saw it as sacrifice. You mean to say that I have to give up all these things which I worked for or my father gave me? I have to give all this up? Okay. He saw it only as sacrifice. What he did not see is his satisfaction. What is that? Verse 21. You will have treasure in heaven. He didn't see that. We don't see that. God is never asking us to leave something without offering us something greater. Something greater. He's not just asking us, you know what, I'm a killjoy. I'm a killjoy. I hate my children enjoying life. So I'm going to make you miserable. He says, no. In my right hand, there is joy and pleasures forevermore. I am preparing you for that. Don't lose that because of this. 
This is temporary. This is transitory. And this will, this will steal from you. Because the devil is a thief. We don't see that God is asking us to give up to gain. To give up to gain. Imagine the children of Israel if they had fought and they had destroyed. The book of Judges would have been different. It is not that after five years, ten years, eight years, another nation rules over them and they are crying in bondage. The whole question is, what was the point in coming from Egypt to the promised land? If the promised land is like Egypt. Think about it. What is the point of being saved from the power of sin if sin is in power again? What is the whole point? The God is saying it's like a dog going back to its vomit. It is better for him not to have known the way of righteousness. Why? At least when he did not know it, he enjoyed his sin. Now you are miserable. You have tasted honey and milk. Now the problem is the honey and the milk is in the Canaanite's hand. You're working for them. Now nobody is saying, oh, we remember the pots of flesh we sat around Egypt. Nobody is saying that. This is all fancy. It's like these fancy stores. You know the stuff you get in fancy stores which you never use but you buy for somebody else? And they also don't use. They also look at it, pack it and give it to Fancy store has this cycle of gifts going around. Never go to a fancy store and buy these gifts. <laughs> Never go to fancy. Because this is fancy. These are not useful. If you look at us, especially kids give us. And we just take it because the kids bought it. Like, like my wife gets it all, these kind of gifts from children. Our own, our children, not our own children, but our children. Yes, as children and all. Two days it will be kept there because the kids gave it. And after that it slowly goes because you can't use it. Where did you buy it from? A fancy store. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, if it's practical, it is fine. Okay. You get a cup. At least, you know, in the cup you can drink. Okay. You get a cup when you pour hot water, your face comes up. Some days you just don't want to see your face. <laughs> Someday that is the last cup you will drink from. <laughs> you understand fancy stores? God doesn't give us fancy things. Whatever he gives us is permanent and it is eternal. Okay, He doesn't play with us. Please understand that. He doesn't play with our feelings. He doesn't play with our emotions. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. The devil does. God is always true. Absolutely true. That's one is, one is his nature. He's true and he's faithful. And that's what God is telling, telling them. I'll never break my covenant with you. No. Look at what God is telling him. In one breath, give up everything on earth. In another breath, you will have treasure in heaven. We don't see the second one. We look at, oh, I have to give up. What if God had said, you shall leave your father and mother and live like a loner? He didn't say that. He shall cleave to your wife. Imagine, imagine how terrible that verse would look. Leave your father and mother and cleave to this tree. Lord, leave my home for a tree. That's not what he said. He said, I'll give you a wife. I'll give you a husband. I'll give you a spouse. Okay. He never, 
we don't look at what he is giving, what he is offering, then we'll always see as as sacrifice. Okay? If you don't understand that God is saying, leave these fleeting pleasures of this world and enjoy the joy of the Lord. We don't enjoy the joy of the Lord. We don't value the joy of the Lord. Then we'll always miss this. Miss this. So turn back today. Don't be pushed by the mob. Stand firm. Say, I will not compromise. I'm turning back. I'm going to fight this battle. No? And I'm not. I'm going to destroy I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to accommodate. I'm not going to assimilate with this world. I don't hate the people in the world. I love them. I'll go among them. But I am not part of them. I go there not to be like them. I go there because I have a purpose among them. And once that is over, I come back. In Philippians 4.13, this is what the great apostle says. You know what? We know it very well. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. I can do all things. No? Yes, the Philistines may be bigger in number. Maybe they have iron chariots. Okay. Maybe they have vantage point. Maybe they have lived long in my life. They are the original inhabitants of this land. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can. I can. Don't give up. Ultimately, remember, you're running your own race. Ultimately, you remember, you will die alone. Even your spouse is not going to die with you. Even the spouse dies with you, he or she still dies alone. So in movies, they die together. Nobody dies together. Hmm? Hold hands and jump from the cliff. Nobody dies together. You look ultimately, you run your race alone. Ultimately, you die alone. And more than that, ultimately, you stand before God alone. Alone. So count the cost. If I compromise, what's the price I will have to pay that day? What is the price I will have to pay that day? Count the cost now. I make compromises now. What is it going to cost me that day when I stand before the throne? What is it going to cost? Israel didn't realize when they were making these compromises that generation after generation after generation, 450 years is the book of Judges. Generation after generation after generation would move into different types of slaveries from different tribes. They would be a defeated people until they cried out and God raises up a judge. You know why God raised up? Because of Judges chapter 2 and verse 1. What is that? I will never, I will never break my covenant with you. You know, every time a judge rose and they won and they had rest, is because they went back to the terms of the covenant. God will never move from his covenant and he will never break his covenant with us. He has loved us with an everlasting love. 
Anyone who comes to him, he will not forsake. And if God is for us, nothing can be against us. He will stand by the terms of his covenant. He is faithful. He will never break it. So the only way is only one way. You have to go back to the terms of the covenant. There's no other way. There's no other way. At a personal level, at a home level, at a church level, or a national level. There's no other way. There's only one way. What is that? That's why one side is trying. The conservatives, the believer, the church in America is trying. You know what? We, we need to go back to the foundations of our fathers. They made a covenant with God. And our nation prospered for a long time. It became the greatest nation ever in human history. Now it is on the verge of collapse, becoming a pagan nation. A Gentile nation. What is the way? There's only one way. You go back to your covenant. At a personal level, you go back to the covenant. Why? Because the one who promised is, this is beautiful words about Jesus in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. About Jesus. Oh. 19, where he, uh, he's coming for war. I think 19, uh, 11, 11, not 10, 11. Yeah, the next verse, verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. The one who sat on it, the covenant maker, the one who made the covenant with his, he's called what? Faithful and he's true. He will never break the covenant. And you know what? When he judges, he judges in righteousness. In righteousness, he judges. And also put it that, even when he wars, he wars in righteousness. Lord, fight for me, he said. I fight in righteousness. Get into my righteousness, and I'll fight for you. You cannot stay in the camp of the enemy and say, Lord, fight for me. He says, I don't. I don't. You're trying to pull me into that side. I don't. When I war, when I make war, I war in righteousness. When I judge, I judge in righteousness. That's why he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of us, all of us, every call we get, every call we make are connected with problems. (laughs) And we all want immediate solutions. Immediate solutions we want, immediate solutions. We are not able to go back the root of the root of the problem. The root of the problem is always what? We stepped away from the covenant. That's the root of the problem. We want immediate solution. It is cancer, but paracetamol is enough. Just take the pain away. Can I have a short term solution? God says no. Go back to the covenant. Root it out. The axe is laid at the roots. Don't trim. Like we said, don't take the thumbs and the toes off. It won't work. The word of God was to lay the axe at the roots. Okay, Lay the axe at the roots. And that's where we have to come back. We have to come back. We are at the verge at the end of history, if it's finishing, or we are at the verge of a great awakening if God is stretching for the hand of mercy because of a remnant that is crying out to him day and night for others. They are ready. They are ready to go. But they are crying out for others so God may extend the hand of mercy like he did with Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a righteous man. 
And to the remnant church, that is righteous, God comes and says, put your house in order, time to go. And the remnant church comes and says, Lord, 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 extend my lifetime. Extend, O oh Lord. Look, O oh Lord, look, O oh Lord. Millions are perishing, Lord. And so he says, okay, I will extend the period of grace. Okay, that's the only way. One way or other it is going. I'm not a prophet to tell you which way it is going. All we can do is read the signs. Read the signs. And the way back, it's only one. We go back to the covenant, the new covenant. With grace upon grace, he has come. Right? You are saved by grace through faith and not by works. But the grace of God also comes and teaches us. God, grace gives you dominion over the works of the flesh, over sin. Grace gives you dominion over the world. Grace gives you dominion over Satan. Not only that, grace causes you to work even more than ever before. You work more and more and more and more efficiently for God because this is all the outworking of grace. Outworking of grace. And that's what you see in the life of Joseph. Life of Joseph. You know something about Joseph? Joseph became prince of Egypt. He had the entire nation under his hand. He had servants, soldiers, horsemen, chariots. He never went to see his father. He waited. He waited. We'll never understand Joseph. His priorities were very clear. What would we do in a situation like that? I'm Pharaoh. First thing, Pharaoh, can I take a month's leave? Why? I don't go home and see my father. Priorities are different. The word of the Lord has come. There is going to be famine. Seven years of severe famine. And you've got only seven years to prepare for it. There is not a minute to be wasted on anything. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to prepare for that. And at God's appointed season, my father will come. God will move. He put the king and the kingdom first. That was some man in the Bible. And he's, it's not that he is a hard-hearted, he's a very kind-hearted, tender-hearted, loving man. Where he wept when he saw his brothers who harmed him. He wept for them. So if he wept for them, he wept for Benjamin and he weeps over his father. But he still waits. How long have you seen? Huh, around 21 years. 21 years. You know why? Because I should not move before my time. If I move before my time, my brothers won't be saved. Do you know that? Yeah. Jesus does not move before his time. Does not move before our time. If he had gone before his time, his brothers would have never been saved. They would have never repented. Sometimes we say, Lord, why are you not moving? God says, because you are not ready. You are not ready to be delivered out of it, to be saved out of it. You are not ready. Think if he had given to his emotions, the story of Genesis would have been different. Joseph, in his excitement, went over there, saw his brothers and father, and he said, come, come, come now. You know what? These guys are still crooks. But they come with him. Because there is famine. He comes. They all go there, stay over there. They never change. They are never brought 
to where they went wrong. They never are convicted. They really never repent. They really never change. They say the same. You have to look at these pictures. Because sometimes we ask, Why Lord? Why are you so delaying? He says, Because you have to come back to the covenant. I will never break my covenant. You should never forget what my son died on the cross for. He did not die on the cross for to give you a smart life or a good life. He came here to break the power of sin in your life. If that is not achieved, nothing is achieved. You can be the most successful man on planet earth. It's irrelevant. The purpose of my son's coming was to take the penalty of sin and then release the grace into your, our lives so that we conquer the power of sin. So we are tempted at all points, but through grace we overcome. And when we fall, we run back because we have an advocate. And we put it right, clean the slate, and keep marching on, keep marching on. You know why? Because that's the best we can give back to him. The best we can give back to him. You know, there's, as I close, there's a story about this famous singer, old, old days singer this opera singer. She's very famous. She became a celebrity. But her mother was a washerwoman. She used to wash the clothes of different people. Okay? And from homes to home. And she used to wash. And she saved money, single mother, put her through these classes. And she became a fantastic singer. And when she had a breakthrough and when she was signed up for this big deal and all this thing, when the News camera once when they interviewed her said, which is the biggest moment in your life? Said, the biggest moment in my life is the day I went back and told mom, you don't have to wash clothes anymore. It's done. It's broken. You know, this is the biggest thing that we can give to God is when he looks into our life and says, yes, you have defeated the Canaanites. You have defeated the Perizzites. You have taken over the land of Jebusites and dispossessed them completely. That's the best thing we can give back to him. We cannot give anything back to him. Because there's something we can give to him. The joy of a victorious life. Because he says, for that purpose, the Son of Man came. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Hmm? So let's pray. Come, honey.